Hello, and welcome to the James Sheets Podcast. This podcast features the sermons and preaching messages of James Sheets, who pastored throughout West Virginia for many years. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a five-star review and share a memory of James with us. Let's listen as Pastor James Sheets begins his message. Let me make just a preliminary statement or two, and then we're going to go to that first chart, or to the only chart. I seriously believe with all my heart that the time for this world to stand is quickly coming to an end. We're going to deal with a lot with some, not all, of the prophecies that deal with this subject. We're going to touch on the subjects only. We cannot possibly in the amount of time that we're going to have during the month of March give any in-depth study to this subject. There are volumes upon volumes written upon this subject. And you can recognize that I cannot, in this brief overview, give much in-depth to it. I'm going to simply try to do it in a manner that will give you the, the basics of what is to come as the Scripture explains it. The book of Revelation has become a lot clearer to me in the past few years than it, than it used to. Thirty years ago, I attempted to do a series on the book of Revelation, and I think I gave up in frustration because there were so many unknowns about the book of Revelation that, that I could not explain. I still find a lot of unknowns in the book of Revelation, but in that 30-year period, I've discovered lots of things that now are very clear because of the way things are happening in today's world. Nuclear energy was not known 30 years ago, at least to me. I didn't know about the atomic bomb and ICBMs and computers and uh, the world market and uh, credit cards and all the things that are now beginning to, to be revealed that are actually in the book of Revelation. And we'll see some of those things. So there is an urgency, I think, for us to really take a look at what the future holds. And I think you ought to get on the phone and in conversation encourage people to come back night after night. Bring this document with you each night so that you can can make reference to it. Okay, now, if you'll turn to the chart that is on the first page, this is not a... A good chart, it's the best I could do without spending many hours developing it. And so if you find errors, and I know there are some in the typing, forget that and look at the concept that we're trying to do. There are some books that have some pretty good outlines in it. I borrowed some from them and used some of my own to put this together. On the top, you will see a number of things listed, such as the point of the creation of man followed by what we call the age of innocence. And the age of innocence stopped when man fell at sin and began the age of conscience, which stopped with the flood. Then began the age of human government, which stopped with the uh, problems with the Tower of Babel. Uh, which began then Israel under promise, 
that ceased with the giving of the law and put Israel under law, that stopped with the crucifixion. Now, I'm not going to deal with all of that. That's Old Testament history. But I wanted you to see that there were these ages. I have not put these in here as far as length between black lines are concerned to indicate any given period of time. So those will not correspond. As you can see, the crucifixion, and it's followed within just a matter of days with the, the episode of Pentecost, and so you can't indicate that there's a certain amount of time of any consequence in there. Then the church age. Then I want you to particularly notice the way that I have put the rapture on the chart by indicating that the Lord does not come down to earth. He comes into the air and goes back to heaven, and with him he takes the church. Now that's going to be a sermon that I'm going to preach when this series is over, and I guarantee you I'm going to preach that one. I don't have you any notes in here dealing with the rapture, but I'm going to preach that one. We'll come back to that point. The church will leave this world. Christian people will be taken out of the world at the end of the church age. And immediately following then will be the appearance of the Antichrist, which is, and we'll talk about this in the body of, of the discussion, which is a political leader that will come into this world and will unite, after the church is taken out, will unite all of the nations of the world in one government. Some people believe that this man is already alive in the world. There are many people that, that you will find who believes that he is alive in the world today. Whether he is or not, I don't know. We, as a church, will never know that. For we're going to be out of this world before the Antichrist appears. And we're going to discuss this throughout this document. The Antichrist is a political figure who will represent himself as being somebody who can really save the world's economy bring the world to peace, unite everybody together in one family of nations. And there are the efforts already being made to this end in our political regime today of trying to get nations to unite under one government. And we'll see more of these things as we get into it. Right now I'm simply wanting to give you an overview. The Antichrist coming will usher in, and the rapture of the church, which will be almost at, well, the rapture will be first, and then the Antichrist will be immediately next, will usher in a period of seven years. It's divided into two parts, and we'll talk about that, three and a half years in one and three and a half in the other, in which there is going to be trouble in this world such as the world has never seen, and we're going to spend some time dealing with that. At the end of that seven-year period, Jesus Christ will come again, and he will this time come to earth. Now, I want you to notice that I did not call the rapture of the church the second coming of Christ, but put his second coming all the way at the end of the tribulation period. I do not find it a problem if we want to say the rapture of the church is the second coming of the Lord. Because in many cases we have referred to that point in time as the second coming. But throughout the discussion in these weeks, you will discover that the scripture will be misinterpreted if we put 
the second coming of Christ at the rapture as opposed to where I put it on this chart. And many misinterpretations of the scripture which we'll refer to come about because of the misconcept as to where the actual second advent really is in, in the episode of time. We more properly ought to refer to the rapture instead of the second coming. We must refer to the second coming of Christ at the end of the tribulation period. Then we'll be ushered in a thousand year period of the millennium when Christ will reign upon earth from Jerusalem as a physical, political, and spiritual ruler and leader. Then after the tribulation will be what is called the great white throne, or I mean after the millennium, the great white throne judgment, which will be the judgment of the lost of all the world from all time. That's the top line. Now follow me down to where I put the years. There is approximately, according to Usher, well, he uses exactly, and you'll find it in your uh, Schofield Bible, 4,004 years from the creation to the crucifixion. And immediately, people who follow the teachings of science take objection to that 4,004 years that is not realistic. One of these days, I'll, I'll preach on the creation and show you that the Bible story is a whole lot more accurate than scientists have over the years given it credit for. A whole lot more accurate. And scientists today are beginning to come back to teaching of the creation as within that possible 4,000-year period. And it is not nearly as long. The Neanderthal man is not nearly as old as some people have made him seem to be in our science books. I'm not taking issue with science tonight. To do that some other time. And I'm not taking issue with science at all because the Bible and science are both accurate when they both see the picture from the same viewpoint. Okay. There's approximately 4,000 years from the day of Pentecost until some future date, which we don't know, is the church age. We know that that age has lasted over 1,900 years. Now, give and take a little bit, a few years in there for an error in the Roman can, uh, uh, calendar, uh, three or four years, we have, give or take, 2,000 years is the phrase we use for the period of the church age, then seven years of the tribulation and then 1,000 years of the millennium. Nobody preaches this, I don't believe, but me, for I have never heard anybody say it, and I don't think that anybody has written it, but I want to throw you my idea, and that's all it is, and take it for that. I don't think there's anything in Scripture that supports it. The Lord deals in periods of seven, all the way through the Scripture. There is a seven, meaning perfection. You starting adding up those years, and you're getting just about to 7,000 years. That fact alone tells me that time is just about up in God's calendar. For it will have become complete in his time frame of nearly 7,000 years. So we don't, if that is true, and I emphasize the word if because we can't prove it by anything that I know of. If that is true, we are nearly to the end of the 7,000 years that the Lord has allowed for this whole world to exist. It will happen, 7,000 years will be up in the lifetime of most of us here tonight. Buy it or reject it. Uh, it makes no difference to me. And that's my idea only. Okay, 
Now look down at the second line across that middle, and you see it, it leads from eternity past to eternity future, which means there has never been a beginning and there will never be an ending. And over the first portion, the 4,000 year portion, God was the primary person of the Godhead that dealt with earth and with the people upon it. He dealt by word of mouth with Moses and others. And, and he was the primary person of the Godhead in dealing with uh, the Jewish people and with the world. All right. At the beginning of Pentecost, we find that the Holy Spirit came into the world and began his dominion of the world, which exists today. When a person becomes a Christian today, he becomes a Christian because the Holy Spirit takes up residence within him. So we're still in that age when the Holy Spirit is here. God the Father is not here. Jesus Christ the Son is not here. He had his short span of, of a few years there in his lifetime upon earth. And then the Holy Spirit is in control. But the Holy Spirit will leave this world, and I will speak about that in the rapture when I deal with the rapture, will leave this world at the time of the rapture of the church for his time is over in this world. He is over. He goes back, and I'll show you the scripture. He goes back to heaven. Then begins a period of seven years when there is no God the Father, no God the Son, and no God the Holy Spirit down here really dealing with the hearts of people. He will have turned it over to Satan for a period of seven years. And Satan will destroy this world. God will allow it to happen. He thinks he is saving it for his own glory, and Satan will destroy it for himself. At the end of that seven years, the Lord comes back, not as the savior of the world, but as the judge of the world and the ruler of the world, the owner of the world. He will come physically down to earth, and for 1,000 years he will rule, and we'll deal with this. Rule from Jerusalem as the capital of the world, as the very ruler that he proclaimed that he would be. All right, down on the lower part of this whole thing gives you some other things to consider. First of all, we'll start with this tonight, Daniel 69 weeks back in the book of Daniel in the ninth chapter. Uh, and then Daniel's 70th week, which is over corresponding to the age of tribulation. Daniel said, God said through Daniel, that he was going to give Israel 70 weeks to straighten things up. And we'll take a look at that. He stopped his countdown at the 69th week when Jesus Christ was crucified. Okay, going right ahead across. There are a couple of things that will happen just prior to, well, one just prior to the second coming of the Lord, and that's the Battle of Armageddon. We'll deal with that. And we also will have the resurrection of the Old Testament and the tribulation saints. The church people of this world are resurrected at the rapture. The rest of the people, the righteous, I'm talking righteous only, are not resurrected until his second coming. The resurrection of the Old Testament people and the resurrection of the tribulation saints. Then at the end of the millennium, 
there will be the resurrection of the bodies of the lost of this world. Those who are in hell will be given up and they will stand before Jesus Christ in heaven to be judged for the life they've lived and then condemned to the lake of fire. Then the Lord will establish a new heaven and a new earth, and we shall talk about that. All right, we'll clear down the bottom, last couple of lines. During the first period of time from the fall of man until the day of Pentecost, basically salvation was by works. Although certainly there were some indications that faith was involved, such as with Abraham. But it primarily depended upon a Jew offering a sacrifice to get God to forgive his sins. An act that man had to do. Man brought his lamb and offered it as a sacrifice. And so we can say that people were saved in the Old Testament by works. And the tragedy is too many people today yet want to be saved that way and it just doesn't work because in the time of the church age salvation is by grace. It is a gift of God. Man no longer works for his salvation. It's given to him. Now there are certainly some things that we ought to do and must do as evidence of that which we have received but salvation itself in its raw term salvation is given to man in the church age who will believe in Jesus Christ his son. In the day of tribulation we will no longer have salvation as a gift from God but again men during the age of the tribulation will work for their salvation and we will see how that comes about. And the bottom line during the early portion of this world God was dealing with Israel as a nation during the church age, God is going to deal, or is dealing, with the church, which includes both Jews and Gentiles. There is no difference between Jews and Gentiles in today's church age. All right, in the seven years of the tribulation, God is going to conclude his work with Israel. And Israel will produce or will not produce according to their own wishes. In the millennium, there is no working or there is no dealing with Israel or with, with uh, uh, Gentiles as a group of people at all. That will be a time that God deals primarily or Christ deals with the, the Jewish nation, but the Gentile nations will benefit from it. I have just covered 40,000 years <laughs> of study to get you to that point. I mean, that's, that's quickly the whole picture. And I felt like we needed to do that first so that we could begin to look a little more carefully at, at really what's involved. Okay, that gives you a picture. You're going to be coming back to that chart more than one time. With that, we need to go to the book of Daniel. I've tried to, to give in this paper all of the references that I feel like that you need. But back in the book of Daniel in the ninth chapter and the 24th verse is where we have the reference to the fact that God has said that he is going to give Israel 70 weeks to conclude some things. 
to finish transgression, to make an end of sins, to make a reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, uh, and to anoint the most holy. All right, I'm not going to deal with those things. That would be a subject entirely in itself. The point is that he gave Israel 70 weeks. Uh, a prophetic week is seven years. You take 70 weeks and multiply it by seven years and you've got 490 years. There will be 490 years from a point in history for the world to get to the end of the tribulation as we now know it. It began when the order was given to rebuild Jerusalem, verse 25 of chapter 9 of Daniel. I've given you that in the notes. From the going forth of the commandment to rebuild Jerusalem. That commandment was given in 444 B.C. and I've given you that. When Jesus Christ was cut off, when he was crucified, we had arrived at week 69 and God stops the countdown. We all know about countdowns from, from our uh, space program. It was stopped, which means we have one week left to be fulfilled of God's promise to Israel, to the Jewish people. One week. It's that last week that we're going to primarily deal with, and certainly tonight, and and perhaps some again next week. This 70th week that is yet in the future will come at the time that we have outlined on the chart as the tribulation period. It will happen after the church has left this world. During the seventh week, he's going to redeal again with, with Israel. All right, the time between the 69th week where he stopped his calendar with the crucifixion of his own son until he picks up the countdown again, there is an interlude. We're in that interlude. We're in that period that has no identifiable stopping point. We can identify 4,004 years prior to the crucifixion of Christ. We know that the scripture has given us the seven years of the tribulation, the thousand years of the millennium, we know those figures, we know those facts. The only thing we don't know is when is the church age to end? And the question was asked the Lord, when shall these things be? When shall be the end? And so on. And Jesus said, and I gave you that on the bottom of page 1 in Matthew 24, 36, but of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. And I capitalized my Father only to emphasize that even Jesus Christ himself does not know when the church age will end. He does not know that. That is in the mind and the heart of the Father only, reserved for his decision. Therefore, we cannot say that the end is going to come, as some people have said in, in past years, at a given time. And there have been those who are so foolish that they will go out, sell all they have, go out and stand on the mountaintop because they think at a given moment the Lord is returning. And they have been fooled again and again and again. 
do not believe anybody, and the scripture bears this out, who says the Lord is going to come at a given point in time because there is no revelation to anybody given by God as to when that time is. It's in God's heart and mind only, not even in the Son. No angel, nobody knows when that will be. This is the undetermined period of time, and when the Lord says, all right, it's time, then it will be time. However, the scripture says when you see the budding of the fig tree, you ought to know that the time is close. And as we go through this discussion, we're going to see some of those things that are taking place that would tell us that the time is close. Okay. Chapter 4 of Revelation. We're not going to deal with chapter 4, except I want you to note what's in chapter 4. And I don't even have it in the notes that I gave you. Chapter 4 follows chapter 3. And we know that we found in chapter 3 and in chapter 2, letters to the churches. We've dealt with that for seven weeks. Then at the beginning of chapter 4, John says... I was caught up into heaven and I saw an open door and he describes what he saw about the throne of God. We're not going to deal with that. That's, that's something entirely different than we need here. But he was given a glimpse into heaven and he saw that which was going on there. In chapter 5, he said one of the things he saw, verse 1, in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the back side, sealed with seven seals. That's what he saw. And a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof. Now, that's what he saw. And verse 3, no man in heaven nor in earth nor under the earth was able to open the book. And what did he do? In verse 4, he wept because nobody was able to open the book. And one of the elders in verse 5 said to him, Do not weep, or weep not. Behold, the lamb, or the lion rather, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the book. Who is that? Down in verse 6. A lamb, what did he see? A lamb as it had been slain. Folks, that's Jesus Christ. He saw a lamb just like it had been slain. I believe he saw the the prince in the hands of the Lord and in his feet and the, and the wound in his side. He saw the blood flowing from the body of Christ. He saw the water gush out of his side. He saw as it were, he says, he saw Jesus Christ like a lamb slain. And verse 7, and he came and took the book. And where did it come from? He took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. Jesus Christ took the book from the hand of God. Nobody else was able to look inside that book to reveal to John what was there. Now there's something in that book of importance. Down in 12th verse, all the people in heaven, the angels and everybody that stood around, sang a song and they said, Worthy is the land that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and so on. All right. Here comes somebody capable of opening a book. What's in the book? Let me suggest to you, and this is not a, a new idea with me, but other people have expressed it, and I've read it in more than one publication. This book was the deed to earth. 
and only the owner of the property had the right to open the deed. Jesus Christ owns this world. Therefore, he's got the right to reveal what's going to happen to it. And it is he who could stand forth and begin to open the book and to look inside and to reveal what the future is going to be. Okay. What did he do? He said, I saw the Lamb in, verse, in chapter 6, in verse 1, open one of the seals, and I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder and one of the four beasts saying, Come and see. And I saw, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him, and he was coming forth to conquer and to conquer. We've got to stop there. We've got to describe this first seal and what was behind it. In the chart, and I'm going to have to give you this very, very superficially. Just touch the surface. I cannot get it off. Superficially, across the surface, what is described under the first seal is the revelation, the revealing of the Antichrist. For three and one half years, the Antichrist looks like the savior of the world in that he announces to all of the nations from Russia and the United States and England and Italy and France and Japan and China and you name it, all of them, that he can bring together the world into one uh, system. He will be the savior of the world. People will want peace so bad, and we're getting to that point. People will want peace so bad that they're willing to follow anybody that will give it to them. That's what brought Hitler to, uh, to the position of authority he had, is that he promised security, he promised jobs, he promised a good economy. The world leader who will come out of some nation somewhere will be such a mighty political power when the church is gone and this world is in a state of disheval. Can you imagine the taking of the millions of Christians out of this world at one time? What's going to happen to this world? Suppose he came tonight, hopefully all of us tonight would disappear out of this church. But those who might be left would have a terrible time explaining what happened. Take this all over the world. In one point in time, there's going to be devastation like you have never seen. Airplane crashes because the pilot was a Christian. Trains crashing. All kinds of devastation of every nature because Christian people have evaporated. Nobody can find them. And out of this turmoil, he's going to come forth and say, I can bring you back to, to stability, and there's going to be apparent peace on the earth. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you like what you hear, hit the subscribe button. You'll receive automatic notifications and downloads when a new message is added to the podcast. Also, please leave a five-star review and take the opportunity to share stories, memories, and appreciation for James Sheets and how God used him to impact your life. If you'd like to know why and how this podcast got started, check out our first episode. Lastly, if you want to donate to help offset the cost of operating this podcast, you'll find a link to our PayPal account in the podcast description and email us at james.com 
sheets.podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening, and remember to trust in God for today and for all of your tomorrows.